0: We had to go off and start shooting the movie, and they,
1: uh, they,
0: had been, they were late turning out the Predator, and we all were desperately anticipating, it's coming, it's coming, it's, come, it's, it's here today? No, tomorrow, 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 finally, the day it arrived. And they took the, the crowbars and pried it open and opened it and, and, and lifted it out of the box, and we all looked at each other and said, Oh, are we in trouble?
1: Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the nineteen eighty-seven action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie.
2: I'm Aaron Zabriskie.
1: And today we're talking minute fifty-four of Predator. Minute fifty-four, you might call the Brian Urlach or of minutes. <laughs> Were you a big uh, Brian Erlacher fan of Chicago Bears fame?
2: Erlacher. Yeah, I thought Urlacher. he fit in the great tradition of Chicago linebackers with excellent last names. Really mm-hmm. appreciated uh, Dick Butkus.
1: <laughs> Dick and Butkus. And the sometimes
2: linebacker, Mike Singletary. And Brian Erlacher.
1: And Brian Erlacher. Yeah, I like that number, too. You know, 54, that's a good, strong number there. Good solid number. Anyway, talking minute 54 of Predator, minute 54 opens with Mac saying goodbye Mm -hmm. to Blaine and ends with the Predator about to seal a wound. Question mark? And as we usually do, we just break the minute down into different parts. I was going to talk about the first part here. So the first part we're carrying over from the last minute, Mac is saying goodbye, bro. Goodbye, bro. Uh, to his buddy Blaine, and then he snaps the poncho back up over Blaine's face in a little scene mirroring the opening of the scene where he snapped the poncho away from uh, Blaine's face. Uh, And then the camera cuts to Anna's face. It's zooming into her as she's looking at something, and then it pans down to show that she's looking at where she wiped the blood, the Predator's green glowing blood. Under her pants and it's starting to glow more, I believe as it starts to become dusk out and we'll move to part two here in a minute, but uh what are some things Aaron that you're noticing about this first part
2: One thing that comes to mind is uh, I know you guys talked about this a little bit is there's this uh uh like homoerotic kind of speculation that's occurred on the internet about the relationship between uh Mac and Blaine. And I think that's baloney. Yeah. I think that's silly. The uh, uh, I think the people who would say that are uh, the kind of people who are kind of oversimplifying uh, their relationship. It's, I think, pretty normal for men to have friends that they're very close to. and mm-hmm. uh, And you can be close friends with a man without it being homosexual. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> I yeah. just
2: thought I'd point that out at the beginning here. <laughs> at any rate i think when most people see the movie originally for the first time their thought isn't that this is an amazing homosexual relationship that's being brought forth on the screen in a really courageous way the uh i think what you're seeing is just two close friends that are whose relationship is being uh sort of illustrated by by max sorrow and grief over over the loss of blaine here so uh mm-hmm. i do like the fact that this uh This movie does spend some time to recognize characters that pass. I think it's very common, especially in horror movies, that when someone dies, that they immediately move on with the action with zero recognition of the fact that people have just died. They make Mm -hmm. people's deaths almost sort of trite or uh, kind of remove the humanity from it uh just to sort of serve with racking up the body count, I think that for instance, all of the uh the gorillas that were killed in this movie <laughs> no. <laughs> there's not a lot of backstory or emotion given to uh uh to their deaths, but that's understandable given the movie's not really supposed to be about them uh but I do appreciate it when a movie uh, tries to add some humanity to to characters' deaths uh, uh I think that I think that helps with the impact of the movie, so that you uh, raises up the tension and makes it more interesting, makes you care more about what happens. And then the next little sequence with uh, with the blood on on his pants, I think is is pretty cool. Uh, the uh, it does look like they oversaturated the bright green there uh, quite a bit on the film, which mm-hmm. makes it look probably a lot more conspicuous than it was supposed to. Just because of the fact that yeah. this is supposed to be something she's hiding, but it's like <laughs> looking like her whole leg is going to burst in flames or something. The uh plus it was just like a couple drops on the leaf uh but on her pants there it's like <laughs> it seems to be uh expanding and increasing in size which uh seems unlikely. So it seems like when they were making the scene they wanted to make it really obvious what they were doing but it, they might have overdone it a little bit.
1: Yeah. And you you see right after it cuts from her to the branch that the predator is going to sit on while giving himself first aid, Uh, the blood does go in and out of brightness um, from kind of goopy and like not as glowy to just a a sheer sheen of bright green um, like we see on her leg right here. And when you're looking at her leg, I mean, it looks like maybe they put a little bit of liquid there, but for the most part, it looks like total after effects where they just like you're saying, they illuminated her whole leg to, to make it really obvious what you're seeing. Uh, but, but to go back real quick to Mac and Blaine, I do enjoy um, Mac giving one final <laughs> goodbye bro to uh, his buddy Blaine after he gives him the flask, just to remind you of the the closeness of the characters. Like you said, giving the character some time to actually mourn a death and uh, yeah. And, what you're saying about horror movies, they pretty much go right back into that trope of killing off the characters at a pretty quick and thoughtless rate uh, much later after the uh, trap they spring doesn't work. And then the other four group of the group go down pretty quickly in, um, in succession.
2: That's true. Uh, Blaine does seem to get the most uh, time for any kind of mourning or afterthoughts after his death of, of any of the characters. Uh but you know he's a big, badass, so he deserves it yeah <laughs> he was he was the big man when the big man fell, that's right, the big man uh you know, Jesse Ventura maintained interviews after this movie that his character had to be one of the first to be killed just to show that if the biggest, toughest, strongest guy can die, then they any of them can die. <laughs> that's right, yeah, I think Jeff and I talked about that before
1: talking about it being called the sacrificial lion where mm. right, you're losing a really big strong yeah. character who you think is right meant to uh, symbolize strength for the group and yep. going that quick right after
2: the sacrificial um, lamb just
1: mm-hmm. right hawkins was our sacrificial lamb yep. they they put them right back to back um let's see I, I think the last thing i had to say about the first part here is uh, i really like the the lighting and the set decorating it is <laughs> as as it's zooming into Anna the background foliage is is really looking Hollywooded up. It's really looking perfectly placed. And there's something about that that I really enjoy at times, even though, you know, you're reminded you're watching a movie, like thinking about how this is, you know, some Hollywood um, effects and some Hollywood production design going into this.
2: Right on. Yeah. They obviously went to a lot of effort to make the jungle really filmable. And these are some of the scenes where they uh, tried to make it more like a set piece rather than it being kind of a uh, a little bit more chaotic like it is in some of the later scenes especially
1: uh, but our next part we're cutting to a log with some blood some goopy green blood dripping onto it and then some invisibility some invisible body parts uh, go in front of the bloodied log and then all of a sudden uh, the predator decloaks for the first time we're seeing uh, the predator in flesh and Well, blood for the first time in this movie. Uh, We see his wound and the blood. He opens a a med kit with a lot of different alien doctor tools. He grabs something from the kit. He squeezes something in his hand. He applies that to the wound. He grabs and uses a syringe on his wound. And then he's about to put something else on that bullet wound right as the minute ends. And, Aaron, you're you're a doctor. You're a doctoring man, Mr. Doctor. I am. Um, if if you don't mind, can you can you kind of take us what he's uh, take us through what he's doing? What is his process for healing himself?
2: Gotcha. So yeah, we'll uh, start by going through his med kit here. Uh, <laughs> sure. So I'll, I'll go even further back. I think it's interesting that he's still oozing blood so much. If this were a human, mm-hmm. that would be very unlikely at this point. The uh, uh, your body has a uh, a very good system for coagulating blood to stop bleeding, especially in extremities. Mm-hmm. And so, it would be unlikely for a relatively small wound in extremity to still be bleeding after after this amount of time. Uh, so, there presumably that means there's something a little bit different about about the predator that makes him. Makes him drip blood. Uh, that's giving the the makers of the film obviously the benefit of the doubt that it's not just something <laughs> randomly uh, done to make sure that it's dripping blood at the right times. But uh, but assuming that there's some kind of logic and regularity in this in this universe, then it means his blood's a little bit different than uh, than your average person's. The uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, and that comes into play later in the movie where the the dripping glowing green blood again brings the focus of the camera when he has you know his final showdowns with Arnold. The uh the fact that it's uh that it's just so voluminous <laughs> as it as it flows. Right. Uh the predator bleeds uh, a lot. Uh yeah, exactly. Really it it and it helps the cinema of the movie that well. It's good. So um then uh he opens up his med kit when after he sits down there for a minute and seems to have uh, several things in it uh so there's a few uh points during uh the scene where you get a pretty clear look at uh the med kit right around second thirty two ish to thirty six something like that the uh you get a pretty good look and uh, the things that I can see Yeah, i mean it's it's
1: a it's a pretty badass med kit the way it opens up and like kind
2: of Slides open? Oh, One is, uh, he's obviously got this syringe that's connected to, like, via hose. And it's hard to tell if that's supposed to be, like, a power source or if there's uh, uh, some kind of uh, medicine that's supposed to flow through that. And then from there, uh, also in the med kit, you can see, uh, it's kind of hard to tell if it's a really unusual-looking pair of scissors or if he's got two scalpel blades back-to-back must be scissors yeah but it's unusual looking it's not any that i've i've seen in a healthcare setting next to that he's got this uh a very unusual looking clamp that looks more like a woodworking tool i'm actually <laughs> i was gonna say it looks kind of like a wine a wine open yeah it looks <laughs> like, like a, cork exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like i'm not sure exactly what that is it, it might be part of a of a retractor kit I'm, i can't tell the uh, again this is not not something that you would come across all of that very often. And then the next thing is a really simple little uh, spatula slash soft retractor uh, that you would use for really minor procedures, and that that's a really common-looking thing that you'd see all over the place. And then uh, something you don't see initially in the med kit here, but he pulls out towards the end when he starts to use it, uh, is a clamp, and it looks like some kind of like auto-snapping clamp or something like that uh, uh, that he uses later. So to begin with, he takes out this some kind of green something in his hands mm-hmm. and crushes yeah. it and then puts it in the wound. And it's uh hard to say exactly what that might be, but on uh I think you pointed out on a message that I got from you earlier that uh on, on the the authoritative website, Xenopedia, uh they list as likely some kind of antiseptic. Yeah, probably. That seems reasonable. That's something that you definitely put on a wound. Although the most effective antiseptic on a wound like that to begin with wouldn't be some kind of like medicine. It would be just water, just washing it And the, uh, and who, who knows what the predator's relationship with water is the, uh, <laughs> as far as the physiology goes, <laughs> does he drink it? Probably. Right. Who knows? The, uh, uh, <laughs> so maybe he can't use that to clean out his wound. Don't know. But it would be unusual for your first step to be to put medicine in it because you're your best bet for cleaning out a wound like that is copious amounts of clean water. Uh, then proceeds to pull out the this big, gnarly-looking syringe, which is uh, right very unusual for it to have this hose sticking out of it. I don't know exactly what that would uh, entail, uh, but it looks like a real syringe. It doesn't have a needle on it in here, but this looks very similar to the types of syringes that veterinarians use. Dentists would use a syringe of a little bit similar style uh where it's got a metal cage and then in the uh uh, so he pulls back the plunger on the metal cage and if you were actually using it then what you do is you'd put a a vial or an ampule of whatever medicine you're going to be injecting uh sort of in the body Mm -hmm. of the syringe and then as you press the plunger it would then uh, uh uh inject whatever medication you're using without a needle all that would be doing is uh just going onto the surface of the wound, which doesn't make a ton of sense. But uh, if you were going to be using this for real, you would need a needle on it, and then you would want to put that in the wound. And then the most likely thing you'd be injecting would be some kind of anesthetic, some kind of pain medication. And although we don't get to it in this minute, it seems to be the case that in the next minute, pain me- <laughs> it if it is pain work. medicine, doesn't seem to be working that well. But then again, it usually <laughs> takes a minute or two for a local anesthetic to give you good effect. So maybe he just didn't wait mm-hmm. long enough. I don't know. But then again, like I said, he didn't have a needle on it either. So maybe he didn't really apply it <laughs> very well into the correct area. Because right. if you just inject it without a needle, it would just wash right away immediately. It would just slide away. It wouldn't actually infiltrate into your tissues in order to, to block the pain response. And then the clamp he's using is pretty cool looking. I have never seen one that looks quite like that Uh but the uh and and in the next minute you get to see exactly how it works. But it uh it would definitely clamp off any bleeding vessels. So it would it would work, for sure. But then again, you shouldn't really need to be clamping off a bleeding vessel uh in a wound like this. So the uh there's something different about the predator's physiology, evidently that means that he, he has to. But all in all, it's a pretty cool use of a med kit in the field that's got all kinds of fancy toys in it. Yeah, super
1: cool. Uh, This is, you referenced the Xenopedia article before, but this is the Predator's med kit. It is called the Metacomp. Metacomp. (laughs) Uh, And the article goes on to talk about the things you see in the Metacomp. It says the visible contents are powder, a shrapnel extractor. So that must be what the uh, wine corkscrew (laughs) remover is. Yeah, I guess Uh, so. A small spatula, which you talked about, a pair of scissors, two wound clamps, a stimulant shot, and a tube of antiseptic. So the stimulant shot... Think maybe that's what he's uh, yeah. I guess a syringe.
2: Yes, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but uh, (laughs) you. (laughs) Why would you do that right before your surgery? Exactly, (laughs) get yourself all pumped up. uh, If you were losing a lot of blood and you were concerned about it, then you could potentially give yourself a shot of adrenaline or something like that. uh, That would help make sure that all of the tissues in your body are getting enough blood flow. Because it would speed up your mm-hmm. heart and help it beat more efficiently. That, that would be unusual, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> the uh, 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 the other thing that you could potentially do is if uh, uh, the uh, other name for adrenaline is epinephrine, uh, and that's the most commonly how doctors and such refer to it. If you were to use mm-hmm. epinephrine uh, at the uh, uh, at the site of bleeding, you could potentially uh, use that. Uh, to contract blood vessels. One of the effects of epinephrine, uh, used in a very specific place, is it will contract the blood vessels there. Some, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a huge effect though. So that would be kind of an inefficient way to do that. You'd, it's much more effective to like put your hand on something and squeeze than it is to mm-hmm. inject epinephrine into an area to to make to reduce blood flow. But maybe that's what it is referring to there don't know like we said we, we're not familiar with the predator's physiology so who knows and then the shrapnel extractor that's that's not a thing so there's there's no such medical tool as a shrapnel extractor and yeah the uh, and that's it's hard to say exactly what that tool is yeah you're exactly right it looks like, like a corkscrew for removing a cork from a wine bottle it doesn't doesn't look like a real medical tool but it, if it is a real medical tool it would be it would be something related to like a retractor, something uh something related to a piece of metal that you put in place to keep to keep what you're looking at uh clear. And so mm-hmm. uh you know, your your body's very loose, full of loose soft tissue. And so if you were to cut open a leg, like in this case if he has a bullet wound in his leg, then the way to actually see down into the base of the wound is to pull away the skin and the other stuff. That's close to the surface, so you can see underneath it, and uh, a tool like that potentially could be something you would use for that. The uh, uh, I was reminded of this uh, this shrapnel extractor uh, ridiculousness uh, a couple weeks ago. I was watching <laughs> this movie on Netflix. Uh, Hilary Swank playing her characteristic like gnarly characters that she often does. Has she ever really. been like in a rom- romantic comedy or something? The uh...
1: Hillary Swank, yeah. yeah, I think because <laughs> it some seems of her like Disney
2: movies were like. Teen comedy rom-coms. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, every movie I've I've seen her in, you know, is Million Dollar Baby. Or...
1: Oh, you said Hillary Swank? I thought you were talking about Hillary Duff. No, not Hillary. <laughs> T-
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, Hillary Swank. Who? Oh, you're talking about? Uh, was it Girl I Am Interrupted? Mother. Yeah, exactly. So in, okay, in, I didn't want to mention it by name for fear of copyright infringement, but the, uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> so in, in I Am Mother, she gets shot in the. St- at the tip, supposedly, whatever. Anyway, there's a point in the movie where uh, they make a point of saying, we have to remove the bullet to save her life. It's absurd. It makes no sense. And right. every time you see this in a movie where they're taking shrapnel and pieces of stuff out of people, it's ridiculous. Nobody cares about that. We routinely will get x-rays uh, or CT scans or something on people and say, oh, well, yeah, look, you got shot 20 years ago and the bullet's still there. It's fine. Whoa. The uh it's fine. It just it sits there, it doesn't move once it's there. It's you don't worry about it. When you're doing surgery on someone if you're like running up against a bullet fragment or some piece of shrapnel from something, yeah, you can go ahead and take it out, but you don't go looking for it cuz by itself it's not going to do anything. It's just going to sit there in your body. It's fine. There are people who get, you know, metal implants put into their body all the time and they sit there for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. And so uh if someone puts a metal implant in you by shooting you, well, it's fine. It stays there forever. It's okay. <laughs> the uh uh there's no reason to go after uh stuff that's that's lodged in your body. Uh it rarely does that stuff cause a problem. Just let it be. Thankfully in this movie they don't do much of that. But this uh the idea of calling this a shrapnel extractor is absurd. <laughs> But you probably picked up on that earlier. That's why you mentioned that it (laughs) sure looks like something you'd use on a bottle of wine. Uh, I would have
1: loved to see that in action in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) But it looks like, uh, for all intents and purposes, that uh, the bullet just grazed his leg. Just skimmed along the edge there. Or maybe through and through. Yeah, it's, it's not like a big chunk of his flesh is missing necessarily. It looks more like a big gash caused by... Um, one of the thousands of bullets that they fired into the jungle. But I, I, I really do like this uh, scene when you kind of step away from it and look at it for what it is. Where it's it's the antagonist in a horror movie having a little quiet moment to himself to to heal himself. I mean, you yeah. never see a Jason or a Freddy just like stitching themselves up because they're like these godly monsters with yeah. uh, superpowers who are. Uh, nigh and vulnerable. So it's, this is reminding us that this thing hunting them uh, is really just as vulnerable as they are. Uh, it's, it's if they land a few more. Really? Do you have you some know, way of summing that up, down.
2: maybe for us?
1: <laughs> do, do, do I have a way of s- summing that up? Uh
2: huh. The the idea that maybe have... this, since we're seeing this thing bleeding, that obviously yeah, I, it has I, some mortality I...
0: associated with it. When the big man was killed. You must have wounded it. Its blood was on the leaves. If it bleeds, we can kill it.
1: I think uh, I think the governor <laughs> said it best. Wait, which when one? He said, which governor? Oh, sorry. Uh, and I'm not talking about just the people who just ran for governor, um, but the people who actually won governorship, like in California specifically. I see. I see. The governator. <laughs> the governor of california uh-huh yeah he he he. at one point i think in his life outside this movie probably said something along the lines of if it bleeds we can kill it I see. <laughs> I see.
0: if it bleeds we can kill it
2: <laughs> yeah i think that might have been part of uh his campaign speech <laughs>
1: I don't know how that would really uh play It was play just a mashup of his speech. best
2: of his best lines and uh and people voted. It's <laughs> it said, Go vote. It carried so, the day. He won. <laughs> so I I think
1: we're working backwards a little bit here and uh, so in this part also like I said before this is the first time we're seeing the predator in the flesh, uh not cloaked. He is now decloaked. So this is the first time for potential moviegoers to be seeing this creature, to be seeing the thing that's hunting them, to be telling people right away, this is not human. There's a little bit of peek into that when the predator picks up the scorpion and looks at it in his hand, and he has those big claws. Um, but this is our first real look. We see like the claws. We see the flesh. We see some kind of hair-like, spike-like protrusions on the leg. Um, we, see, we see how hard this must be for the Predator to do any kind of
2: fine surgery with all these tools. Why didn't they make these tools a little bit bigger? And this huge, <laughs> ungainly hands and the uh, stuff all over his yes. wrists. Yeah. Now, you can see when he grabs and is crushing this stuff in his hands, he's grabbing stuff, that is, he lacks a little bit of fine dexterity for sure. <laughs> or maybe he's just worried about stabbing himself with those claws on accident. Like <laughs> Yeah, if you if you look close when he is first, yeah, you can see the claws are a little bit floppy. Yeah, the claws are a little bit floppy, a little bit foam rubbery. I do uh, I do like the choice, and I think we've mentioned this before uh, to slowly reveal the monster in this movie. Mm-hmm. It does. That's not always a good choice, but in this movie, I think it's a really mm-hmm. good choice. The uh, like I've I've heard you and several other people comment on the Godzilla movies about the fact mm-hmm. that there's. You know, five or six minutes of Godzilla in a two hour movie. Yeah. And you're like, what in the world? Anyway, that's an example of a movie where you don't want to bury the the reveal quite as much. <laughs> but in this movie, right. where you're sort of building the horror elements, uh, I think that uh that it works really well. And uh mm-hmm. and especially in this where the the whole idea of the monsters it's invisible uh and otherworldly. It uh, works to sort of bring it in slowly so they don't give us the full shot yet The uh, is what I'm getting at right. and uh, so they're just revealing part by part
1: and e- even the full shot which happens next minute when he applies the clamp, it is very very brief Just and he still has the mask on and he's sitting up in the tree it roars, you know he roars and they can hear it a long way away even then the reveal is something that you're going to have to pause uh, which you can't do in the theaters in 1987 uh, you're still left lacking for what you're saying, like a a whole picture of what the predator looks like. Uh, And just to give a little bit of background, uh, we've talked about this pretty much ad nauseum when we talked about the predator design, but uh, the final creature design comes from Stan Winston. You you could do some research on the Stan Winston creature shop Mm -hmm. that uh, he eventually created to work on movies, specifically to create monsters like this for movies and I'll give him some more background tomorrow when we see the predator in whole. Uh, but, uh, Stan Winston uh, was brought on in the middle of production, of course, as anybody who listens to the podcast knows that, uh, it was troubled by a lot of different things, uh, not just a bad costume design, but also the weather itself and, uh, the seasons and the lack of foliage in Puerto Vallarta jungle and, uh, people taking advantage of McTiernan as a green director and uh, trying to bring on more and more uh, production assistance than um, he needed. Uh, so uh, eventually they they come to a, part, a point in the production where they have to stop everything because the Predator costume finally arrives and it just looks like hot garbage. It's kind of like this insect... Uh, like lizard-like creature. It's it's kind of skinny and definitely otherworldly, um, but not nearly the intimidating thing that uh, John McTiernan and the producers and the actors all thought that should be arriving. And so everything stops, halts. They reach out finally to the the master creature maker, Stan Winston, and he, he goes to Rastafarian warriors for uh, inspiration. That's where the dreadlocks come in um there's some other inspirations he talks a little bit about uh Zulu tribes uh being an inspiration um using like a right ha- with the predator using uh some primitive weapons kind of like the stabby stabby the claws and then uh, later movies like the spear it's and a stabby and the net stabby. <laughs> stabby stabby happy stabby uh and then uh of course the the interview for the behind the scenes uh for predator is interviewing Stan Winston and he talks about where the mandibles come from and that's when he said he's flying with James Cameron on a flight to Japan I'm not really sure why they're going to Japan at the time but James Cameron uh, director of Terminator Terminator 2 Aliens The Abyss Avatar um is sitting there looking at the designs that Winston is coming up for this fix on the Predator design and James Cameron says that he's always wanted to see something with mandibles.
0: (laughs) The creature design evolved uh, given the springboard of the Rastafarian warrior that uh, I had seen the drawing of that uh, Joel had had on an airplane flying to Japan with Jim Cameron sitting next to me. And uh, while I was on this uh, airplane flight uh, to Japan, I was sketching concepts for the Predator jim cameron looked over to me he says you know i always wanted to see something with mandibles and i went oh really well so what
1: (laughs) and so winston uh takes some inspiration from james cameron and uh, the predator's face which we see much much later in the movie so any comments on the on the predator's creature design oh well that's what made the movie we've
2: talked about this mm-hmm. over and over that that that's really what made the movie it obviously would have been a disaster if they had kept up with the original design so that uh coming up with this i think is just infinitely better they do make mm-hmm. a point of talking about the fact that giving it the uh, kind of uh, snake-like mandibles that open to the sides uh, as opposed to being mm-hmm. a solid lower jawbone uh Sure, made things a lot harder uh, for the the end scenes. They had to have individual mm. motors for different parts of the face, and different people with remote right. controls controlling different parts of the face. And uh, God bless them and all their efforts for <laughs> keeping up with all of that. Uh, because yeah. it sure looks cool. I'm sure it took a lot of editing and diff- difficult work to make it look cool. Uh, but uh, but it looks great in this movie. Yeah. It's Although I looks, I looks have dynamic, yeah uh in a few occasions seen some reviews people didn't like this movie and Mm. uh and in fact i saw a bunch of those reviews when the latest predator movie came out uh Mm. a bunch of people speaking ill of the of the original and uh and one of the things they commented on was how much they didn't like the look of the predator underneath the mask Mm. i think is unfair and i think does not reflect what the most people thought of the movie, certainly when it first came out, which was that, well, that thing looks awesome. Yeah. And I think it's only 30 years later in retrospect when they had sequels that they didn't like that people start to criticize it.
1: And I would argue that a good monster design should be somewhat off-putting and something like unpleasant to look at <laughs> you know it's 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 a monster it's a bad guy it's like make him ugly make him look like you know he, he took a few punches to the face or you know he's he's has a bunch of different little individualized muscles moving within his mouth yep. you know make him gross make him nasty he's he's the bad guy um i and yeah yeah i i give full credit to to them for pausing it for the creature redesign because I think if you're seeing like the Jean Claude lizard-like creature as the reveal, I don't think there's nearly
2: as much awe or uh, intimidation factor oh, no. for the viewers. That would be that would be a creature design where I talked about burying the lead. That one you would bury right. till well after the credits, <laughs> right. By which I mean, just keep him invisible the entire movie and never reveal right. him. Just-
1: Exactly, just invisible the whole time. <laughs> <just> looked <laughs> yeah, you because you would not have the uh, idea that this creature took down Arnold and the gang, or they're all of Arnold's gang except for him. No, uh, if it's looking like this little snaky thing, yeah, you 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 need something basically like a
2: giant of a man. Yeah, or they could have just let John Claude out of his suit and thought well, he's pretty cool as is. <laughs> I'd see that. I'd watch John Claude <laughs> versus Arnold. Jean-Claude all
1: lubed up with the the blood, the KY <laughs> nightstick liquid uh, blood. <laughs> sure. Hey, try to catch me.
2: <laughs> well, I don't, were they ever in a movie together? I don't think they were.
1: I don't think so. Well, he was uh, the bad guy in 2. The Expendables 2, right? He was Valaine. <laughs> Let that sink in. <laughs> and then Arnold Arnold shows up for a little bit in that movie. Oh, so they are both in that movie. Yeah, Arnold shows up. I don't remember if it's just to give the mission... Or he he actually shows up a little bit later, maybe I'm thinking three where he shows up and plays a bigger part, yeah,
2: the Expandable is extremely uh original and innovative content to name their bad guy villain <laughs> villain villain Dylan yeah exactly uh there's there's a big script difference here. this
1: is in the script this is right about where things start to diverge, diverge, diverge. Mm-hmm. Divert. I don't know. This is right where things start to change from the script to the movie. Yes. Uh in this in the script, we see the Predator's ship. The Predator is healing himself on the ship. And I'm gonna go ahead and just read off what that would be because it's it's pretty nifty to hear about what the Predator's ship would have looked like in the uh original um in the original vision of this movie. <clears throat> Exterior Hunter's Camp Night Suspended above the ground, a horizontal slash of intense blue light appears, cutting upward into the trees. The light widens as two vertical lines appear, outlining a small doorway, seemingly cut into the foliage. From within the compartment of a platform slides silently forward, its edges lit by a phosphorescent ring of soft blue light. Nestled within the shelf are an array of other, otherworldly objects, some looking like weapons. The hunter's hand extends removing a small blue stone followed by a green stone. He presses the two stones together with a pulse of energy. They flare, fusing, holding the pulsing mass in one hand. He places the edge against the faintly glowing wound on his shoulder, cauterizing it. So there's another difference right there. He's wounded in the shoulder in the script. He's wounded in the leg uh, in the movie. The hunter's eyes glow with increased intensity as he winces and screams in pain, an unearthly trilling cry piercing into the night. Uh so it looks like he cauterizes the wound in the script, so it's keeping up much more sci-fi in the script and you're seeing the ship versus uh, in the movie. It's it's still pretty primitive. It's still kind of maybe what you do in the field if you're wounded in the military, you're you're busting out these metal tools and some real quick anesthetic or ana yeah, some antiseptic and then some an- anesthetic anesthetic. So uh, what, what kind of difference do you think that is in, in the movie if all of a sudden it cuts to his spaceship
2: and that's, that's where he's healing himself? Yeah, that would be a very different movie if they included the spaceship. And it, I, I know in the director's commentary, he talked about the fact that he didn't want to complicate the movie. And he also mm-hmm. associated the ship with the end of the movie, which uh, he points out was a much uh, uh, gory uh, end. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. And so I think that sort of put them off the idea of a ship altogether. Obviously, that would have made the movie a lot more expensive also and to have this whole mm-hmm. other uh, set and everything that already in an extended, like long, drawn out, expensive movie, that's probably not a great plan. The mm-hmm. uh, uh, one thing I do like is that, it, you know, in Predator 2, obviously, they took all of the elements that you were just describing and they seem to incorporate that pretty faithfully into the ship that you see at mm-hmm. the end of Predator 2. Uh, it seems like actually that the the end to Predator Two seems very similar to uh, what was written in the script for the end for Predator One, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that was I'm sure that was on purpose the uh, to try to try to do that because probably by the time Predator Two came around they had a bigger budget and they felt like they probably you know had a few more years of special effects knowledge behind them could could come up with something uh, a little more um, ambitious they did it for the first movie mm-hmm. i personally am gra- glad that they didn't do the ship i like the fact that they keep it in the jungle for one and i also like the fact that uh uh that they sort of keep the predators origins more mysterious and uh i think that helps for a couple of reasons one is that means if you did want to make a sequel and obviously they did uh i think it gives them a little more freedom for what to do with it and then the Mm -hmm. second is that if they didn't want to make a sequel then great then you don't you're not (laughs) left thinking like about this loose end that never got tied up of all this weird stuff in the spaceship the uh Mm -hmm. uh which is something that definitely happened at the end of predator 2 when they showed all the stuff inside the ship i think that especially since it came at the end of the movie I think it set up a lot of expectations, uh, especially when there's a, a scene and in, in, uh, there's a shot in Predator 2 where they have the, the xenomorph skull in mm-hmm. it. And I think that set up a lot of expectations for, for what should happen with the the Predator franchise going forward. And I think, quite frankly, that was to its detriment. I think it would have been better if, uh, if they let things be more, more open-ended. Okay. And then the other obvious thing is I think in 1987, the special effects just weren't good enough to make a spaceship scene i don't think it would fit with kind of the realism of the rest of the
1: movie yeah i agree i think i think if you're going there you're going really sci-fi you're i think you're like really committing to it being sci-fi and you're probably seeing more sci-fi elements throughout this movie so that the producers aren't feeling like they're having to backload everything that they want to keep the audience interested and on the same sci-fi plane uh throughout the whole thing. Uh the movie I kinda think of when I think of like you saying that the effects aren't ready is uh this eighties sci-fi horror movie uh, Invaders from Mars. Do you remember that one? It was like no. Toby Hooper directed it's a <laughs> yes. remake of like a fifties sci-fi horror movie and it's like the people are dragged into the sand and there's a spaceship under the sand. No, oh, it doesn't ring yes. a bell. Yes, I do remember this movie. And and they they put the alien in the back of the neck. Yeah, I I do too. It's it's one that like kind of pops up in my head every once in a while. But going back and watching that movie, as scary as it was as a kid, it is, it is like terribly, terribly campy with how bad the effects are. So that's kind of what I'm picturing with like a possible Predator spaceship appearance. <laughs> just just how you can really, really lose the audience with with <laughs> bad
2: effects. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, just googling this. Yeah, and just googling this, I'm remembering this movie now. In fact, here's a funny story. The uh, uh, so, I think that you watched this movie with our parents, or at least our dad. Uh, this would have been back in the late '80s, early '90s. At yeah, some I point. definitely
1: watched this movie growing. It was it was one of those like it
2: was one of those like. Well, so that's funny you say that because I was not, not invited watched. to this movie. The uh, to watch this movie with you guys, I was still a little too young, evidently. And so I'm guessing this was probably 88 or 89 when you guys watched it uh, because it was at home. And so uh, uh, I was sent off to bed and uh, at that house that we lived in at the time was big enough where I could actually walk all the way downstairs and sit in the next room behind where you guys were watching TV Mm -hmm. and just watch from over your shoulder where it was dark and no one knew I was there. And so I actually watched most of this movie over your guy's shoulders and then i remember there being a scene in it that really freaked me out and i was like you know what i think i'm just going to go to bed <laughs> and i'm i think i'm trying to remember exactly which scene it was that bothered me so much the uh uh but it uh but it was definitely one yeah that scared the poop out of me as a kid i think the thing that scared me more than like the effects or uh, the violence in the movie was the tone of so many of the uh, the actors in it? There was uh, there were so many actors that had this such like condensing awful anguish and horror and dread that uh, <laughs> that's what really actually scared mm-hmm. me as a kid. Yeah, I, I didn't know
1: you were watching from the other room. I definitely did that with mom and dad growing up. I remember watching some scary movies from our room because you could see right. Are from you our talking room, about right wait, to which, the TV?
2: Uh, so. And, in, well, no, this was, uh, the West this Top was house, from right? Sugarwood House, so it must have been ni- 89 or 90, because we didn't move there till 89 or 90. No, what I was thinking of is in the the other house that we lived uh-huh. in, uh, there was that room that had the piano in it, and uh, and from there, you could sit in the dark, mm-hmm. and there was actually another yeah, room okay, okay. past the room that had the piano in it, and you could sit there in the dark and just watch through the uh, uh it had glass doors that particular room so you could sit there and watch the glass doors people that are watching movies there yeah if it looked anything like invaders from mars that right. would be terrible good. <laughs> no, yeah but uh, at, at the
1: very end of that movie there's a longer sequence where um the young kid is in an alien spaceship and it just yeah it just looks bad it just looks like trying too hard and that's probably what would happen with Right, The Predator spaceship, if not done right, if done uh, too much, if overdone. Oh, uh, John McTiernan in in this minute, he's talking about the the glow stick blood, uh, saying that, um, just reiterating what you already said about how they use the green glow stick blood, and that's why it's green and not orange. He doesn't really mention in this commentary, at least not yet, how the local Tienda, the Mercado, was uh, not in stock with the orange stuff. But (laughs) it's just interesting how such like a little, I don't know how you'd say it, like just, just a little factoid in history just contributes to the canon of this whole franchise. Oh, they have green blood. Uh, it was shown <laughs> in the movie. Well, like, they had green blood because that's <laughs> all we could find locally. Yep. Uh, if, if they had the orange stuff, it would have been orange blood forever never, never. <laughs> uh, and ever and ever. Yeah, I, I think I, it's a good choice. Good choice, everybody. Orange would have been cool too. I wouldn't have minded. Uh, red blood, I think, would have been kind of lame because it's not putting... Uh, a a good dis- a good enough distance between them and the monster. We red is too much reminding us of like
2: humanity and that's yeah. not what we're, what we we're think when we Having see this monster. Bright neon blood is pretty cool. And they made it look good, which uh which is neat and I also like mm-hmm. the fact that uh, like so many things in this movie and in general movies from the 80s practical effects almost always look way better than optical or uh certainly computer uh, mm-hmm. Effects and I would say that's, in my opinion, that's still true today. The uh and so the fact that they were able to find a practical way to do this is yeah, keep it keep it
1: all practical keep it so you can see it on the screen like you can touch it like you could smell it. What do you think the predator smells like? <laughs> <laughs> like like ball sweat or yeah. like kind of <laughs> cool you water cologne?
2: Pretty terrible after all this time yeah. in the jungle, and he likes it hot. I'm told. So mm-hmm. spends all this time around decaying bodies.
1: Just bodies.
2: The uh <laughs> he's got a little sack full of human skulls it, yeah, I just can't imagine he smells nice. No. But you know what? Smelling bad is what makes you an elite hunter, right? If you mm-hmm. smell the same as your environment.
1: Exactly. I can't smell that's sniff probably
2: him why Billy couldn't 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 smell him.
1: That's a good point. He just was all slathered up in jungle juices. Anyway, uh, did you have anything else for uh, the minute? I think I am all up to date on
2: my notes. Hey, did you uh, get a good look at the flask? Flask! Back. Yeah, we
1: talked about it last minute, how it's a Special Forces logo uh, okay. missing the uh, the arrows and the sword. Yeah. Um, oh, I know, I know. Did you ever think that this was the scene where he was, like, using the scorpion to heal himself? Because for the longest time... I I thought he was using the scorpion that he picked up earlier as part of his med
2: kit. Yeah, no, I think I remember when we were younger. Uh, I think uh, maybe you uh, influenced me, but I thought I remembered, yeah, that uh, I thought that he was using that. The reason he took the scorpion was to put in his med kit. And that was one of the things he was using here. Uh, that doesn't really make any sense. But no. In an eight year old's mind, maybe that's
1: just perfectly logical. Did you have someone to recommend this week during the weekly recommend
2: segment? Uh, Yeah. I recently was on the internet and found a new site that I like. Uh, It's called The Google. Are you familiar with this? Sorry, it's called the Google. Yeah, you can find anything on this site. All you have to do is type in what you're interested in, and man, it just brings it right up. Because you know, just last week I was on Lycos, you know, trying to yeah, the uh, dog, trying to find uh, some stuff, and it was just getting so hard. Alta Vista was not giving me any good hits, and then all of a sudden I find this Google website. It really changed my life. Oh. Anyway, get rid of AltaVista. Get rid of Google. Even Yahoo just doesn't really cut it anymore. Google's where it's oh. at.
1: Google. So is that G-U-G-L-E?
2: <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to tell. I thought it was Goggle for a while. Oh. But I think it's, uh, I think it's Google. <laughs> I'll have to Google it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you might be able to find it by Googling it.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, solid recommend. I'll uh, make sure to spread the word (laughs) on that. Uh, But uh, my recommend comes from uh, a a favorite of yours and mine for many years, Conan O'Brien, the longtime late-night talk show host. He started a podcast called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. And uh, I've listened to a few episodes. Jeff and I listened to a a few episodes when we went down to Portland and back uh, last weekend to uh, go to the Movies by Minutes convention, uh, and Conan O'Brien, just like, like it sounds, he brings one of his uh, friends on the podcast, and it's always people you've heard of, you know, Andy Richter, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Bill Hader was a favorite of mine, uh, and Tig Notaro, probably my favorite of his episodes. They come on and they just chit chat. There's no format to the show; it's simply just sitting down and talking a little bit about their history, what's going on with them. Um, and then, the podcast ends. <laughs> uh, I suggest go try it out. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. And uh, Aaron, this is the part where we're talking about where people can find you. Where can people find you? They cannot. Quit trying. Okay. Keep trying, internet. I don't think you got it in you though. No. Quit trying. Quit trying. Stop don't, it. Yeah. Don't be. Don't be a tryhard. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> find my brother. He'll find me. So if you're interested in knowing more about the Movies by Minutes community, you can go to the Facebook page, Minute Makers and Listeners, Movies by Minute Master Group on Facebook. And you can ask all sorts of questions about what are the new movies uh, being covered. You can ask about where the big convention is going to happen and what the itinerary is going to be. Uh, And if you want to shortcut all that and just see what movies are covered right now, there are currently 137 Movies by Minutes. Podcast. You can find that that list at movies by And the latest one that was added is Forrest Gump Minute. And uh, if you want to contribute to the Predator Minute discussion, you can find us on Facebook as well at Predator Minute Listeners Palapa. Target's the center of the Palapa! We're on Twitter at Predator Minute, and you can email the show, predator minute at gmail.com. For Predator Minute, I've been John
2: Zabrisky. And this is A.A. A. Ron Zabriskie. And until next time, get to the chopper.
0: Get to the chopper!
2: All right. Goodbye, bro. Boop. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if you shoot it from a low angle up, it would look bigger. You know? It just was kind of, like, <sighs> underwhelming.
0: The original Predator was not the Predator that you saw. The original Predator was a red figure with one eye in the middle on kind of stilts that on wires and so on. I just remember standing there and looking across through the trees and there's this giant red thing coming like this, like just exactly what we had not been trying not to have because it was impossible to move and it was terrible. I shot a shot, two shots with the damn thing and just sent it back to the studio saying, You really don't want us to continue with this, do you? And they looked at it and said, nope, (laughs) wait, stop.